And dear Lord, we're going to be taking the word of a king, and we want it to have power in our lives. We want to understand it. We want to surrender to it. We want to be instructed by it. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will be here to interpret these words to us, that we're different because we've had the word of a king this afternoon in Christ's name. Amen. Luke 10, verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. Understanding the context of this passage helps us understand the passage. Chapter 10 of Luke begins with Christ sending out teams of 35 uh, teams of disciples and they were on a medical evangelistic tour to prepare for Christ's final days of ministry. Luke 10.1 tells us, After these things the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them out, sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. The work of these disciples was to prepare the way for Jesus to come. They were preparing for Jesus' coming. And that was their message. They went throughout Judah and Galilee, and through this event, though this event was two millennia ago, would God like to send out teams of medical missionaries today to prepare for his coming? Notice this, Manuscript 141, 1903, medical missionary work is yet in its infancy. The meaning of genuine medical missionary work is known by but few. Why? Read that last sentence with me. Because the Savior's plan of work has not been followed. Letter 202, 1903. From the instruction that the Lord has given me from time to time, I know there should be workers who make medical evangelistic tours among the towns and villages. Those who do this work will gather a rich harvest of souls, both from the higher and the lower classes. The way for this work is best prepared by the efforts of the faithful canvasser. When we send out missionaries, the first thing that we do is to make sure they have money, they have clothes, shoes, and a bag to carry these things in. My daughter was planning to go on a trip to Cambodia, and so it turned out that she couldn't go, but before we uh, knew that, what do you think we began to prepare for? All the things you'd need before you go on a um, mission tour to Cambodia. In some cases, missionaries will raise funds for their project before they embark on it, and that's prudent. But that's not what Jesus had his disciples do before sending them out. He did just the opposite. Verse 4 says, carry neither purse, that's something to hold your money in, nor script, that's a knapsack to carry your belongings in, nor shoes. Carry no purse, the Amplified Version says, no provision bag, no change of sandals. They were not to wait until they had accumulated sufficient things for them to be able to work for God. This is an important principle in this verse. They were to begin immediately. And then as they worked for God, they were not to accumulate things. They had no bag to carry the things in. 
They had either to turn down or give away gifts that were more than their actual daily needs. They had a special mission to perform, and there must be nothing to delay or sidetrack their mission. They were not sent to receive, they were sent to give. Among the 70 disciples that Jesus sent out were a few from wealthy homes with ample resources, but they were not to feel superior to the other disciples as they were not to draw upon or rely on these home resources. The most of the disciples, however, had either scanty resources or none whatsoever. They were already learning to live by faith. All were sent out with what the poorest disciple had, knowledge of Jesus in their head, love for him and others in their heart, power for healing in their hands, and words of truth and hope in their mouths. This is what they carried and shared freely. Jesus and his disciples could not afford to stay at the Sheraton. They couldn't even afford to stay at Motel 6. They were dependent on the hospitality of the people they ministered to. They were welcomed in some homes. They were accepted in some cities. On this mission, the disciples learned to depend on God, and he, they found that he was sufficient to supply every need day by day. Food and water. Just as day by day, Jesus, the same Jesus, provided food for the children of Israel in the wilderness. The birds get their food day by day, and God provides it for them. In the Lord's Prayer, what do we pray? Give us this day our daily bread. As the disciples freely gave, the hearts of the listeners were touched. They were invited into the homes of the humble peasants, and they were given food and a place to sleep each night. Many months later, Christ reminded his disciples of this experience and asked them, when I sent you out without purse and script and shoes, lacked you anything? And they said what? Nothing. Though they could not accumulate earthly treasure, there was one thing they could and did accumulate. There was one thing they carried back to Jesus. Luke 10, 17 says, And the seventy returned again with what? Joy. These gospel medical missionary teams returned to Christ rejoicing, filled with the story of the mighty works of God. The kingdom of Satan was invaded, and Satan and his angels had been forced to flee. The kingdom of Satan could not stand before the power of Jesus. These disciples once again joined Christ's company as they accompanied Jesus to the various villages that they had labored in. And that's the context of our verse. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village. This certain village was the village where Martha lived. John tells us the name of this village, John 11.1, Bethany, the town of Martha. Bethany. We know what the prefix means, house of, though Hebrew scholars have informed me that it more broadly means container of. But we get the word Bethel, house of God, Bethlehem, house of bread, Bethphage, house of figs, Bethesda, house of mercy, Bethsaida, house of hunting, Bethabara, house of crossing, which was by a ford in Jordan. Thayer's respected Greek dictionary tells us the meaning of the name Bethany was house of depression. 
house of misery. The New American Standard tells us Bethany means house of affliction. The New Open Bible Study Edition tells it means house of poverty. How instructive that Jesus came to Bethany. The house of misery, affliction, depression, and poverty. The one who left the glories of heaven, born in a rude shelter for animals, came to a world of depression, misery, affliction, poverty. He experienced it all for us. But Bethany has another meaning as well. It also means house of figs. But not just any kind of figs. The NIV gives the meaning as the house of poor figs. Jeremiah was given a vision of poor figs, evil figs. These evil figs represented not the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the unholy Spirit, the fruit of the flesh. He came to the fig tree of Israel seeking fruit, but found it covered with pretentious leaves bearing only evil fruit. John tells us something else about Beth- Bethany. John eleven eighteen. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. A furlong is about an eighth of a mile, 660 feet. 15 furlongs is 1.875 miles, so it's not very far. It was actually the distance that I used to walk when I lived in Chatsworth, uh, uh, Georgia, doing some uh, uh, advanced study in dermatology. It was the distance between going down to the mailbox and coming back up to our house. I walked the distance to uh, Bethany each day. Bethany is straight east of Jerusalem. To get there, you climb the Mount of Olives, and Bethany is on the base of the other side of the Mount of Olives. The house of misery, the house of depression, the house of affliction and poverty was on the outskirts of Jerusalem. This is where Jesus stayed when he came to Jerusalem. Matthew 21, 17, and he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. This brings us back to verse 38 of Luke 10, the last part. A certain woman named Martha received him into her house. Do you want Jesus to lodge in your house? Do you want to receive him into your home? Martha received him into her house. Her house was not just for Martha and her needs. She opened her home to Jesus and his needs. Now, it was a big deal to receive Jesus into your home. I don't mean it was a big deal because of the worldly honor and the glamour to have Jesus stay in your home. Martha didn't open her home for the glory of it. She didn't open her home for the bragging rights of it. It meant a lot of work. It wasn't just Jesus. He was accompanied by the twelve. Because it says in Mark eleven eleven, he went unto Bethany with the twelve. It meant a lot of expense. Did you ever try to feed 13 hungry mouths, Jesus and his disciples? And there may well have been others with them at the same time. For we read many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem, Mark 15, 41. To receive Jesus into your home and have him lodged there was to publicly support Jesus. That wasn't easy to do because Jesus was unpopular in Jerusalem. It meant you faced expulsion from the synagogue, ridicule, slander, loss of friends. 
misunderstanding, even hatred by your relatives. And it could affect your business prospects. It may close the doors to future job openings. This is very true of Bethany, so close to Jerusalem where the heart of the opposition to Christ was located. Bethany, so close to Christ's mortal enemies. When Lazarus died, the disciples were reluctant to to go and counseled Jesus not to go. It was too dangerous. You remember they said to Jesus, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Don't think it was not dangerous to live in Bethany and be a supporter of Jesus. John 12.10, But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. The supporter of Jesus was uh, um, to be put to death with Jesus. Sometimes Martha doesn't get, as the vernacular is, doesn't get no respect. Martha is honored, Mary is honored, and Martha is castigated. It's time to set the record straight. Do you know who is mentioned first in the family as the one that Jesus loved? Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Martha is the first one mentioned in the list. The Bible pictures Martha as one of the greatest of all women. She was an unusual woman. Despite the work of opening her home to Jesus and his disciples, despite the expense of opening her home to Jesus and his disciples, despite the unpopularity and even danger in opening her home for Jesus, a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. The New King James says she welcomed him into her home. The NIV says she opened her home to him. Though she was young and single, Martha was a hospitable woman. She had opened her home to her brother and her weak and once wayward sister. Martha was a hard worker, and she was a constant worker. In a few weeks, when her brother became ill, she cared for him. She was in demand. She was dependable. She was punctual. Where Jesus was, you find Martha working. John 12, 2, there they made him a supper, and Martha served. I have observed many Marthas in uh, my many years being a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. You want Martha to be a member of your church. Uh, The angels want Marthas in heaven because they know they're not going to be lazy there. We have a number of Marthas in my church there in Chattanooga. Hospitable, hardworking. Every church needs to be full of Marthas. And every home needs Marthas. It is true, it was a lot of work to receive him into her house. She had to plan what she was, uh, she was going to serve the many guests. Then she had to buy the food, carry the food to her home, prepare it, serve it, clean up after it was served, then get ready for the next meal. She had to get her house spotless before Jesus arrived. But Martha loved Jesus. She liked to have him around. She welcomed Jesus into her home and love for Jesus made that work light. And she cleaned as as she cleaned, she thought of Jesus coming. She thought of his love for cleanliness. She thought of how this would make him happy and comfortable. As she worked, she remembered his words. 
Jesus was already in her home. She was sitting at his feet already. She was working with Jesus in her heart. Don't you think she began to sing and hum? Working for Jesus, you see, isn't drudgery. It brings happiness into the life. And as she planned, she thought about food that would please Jesus. As she shopped, she bought, bought that food that he liked, and she brought, bought nothing else. Thoughts of Jesus brought happiness into her shopping. She sought to pick out only the best. There was a smile in her vo very voice as she purchased the food for the, from the vendor. As she cooked, she sought the, to cook the tastiest food. Thoughts of Jesus quickened her hands. My friends, if we want to be happy, we need to invite Jesus into our homes. We never increase our work by inviting him into our home. It brings rest into our home. It brings rest into our work in the home. It is true that receiving Jesus into our home entails some expense, but the thought of Jesus providing for others, his giving to the poor, made her excited to be providing for him. And the money set aside for Jesus seemed to go farther. When we get to heaven, we're going to hear Martha tell us some stories about bargains and even gifts that she got as she was shopping for Jesus. And when he left, she found she was richer, not poor, from having Jesus in her home. My friends, we need to invite Jesus into our homes. It's true that publicly identifying her support for Jesus caused others to reject her, but this brought her neither anxiety nor worry. She didn't fear the rejectors of Jesus. She pitied them and sought to help them in every way. Publicly identifying with Jesus brings peace, not fear. Jesus had instructed his disciples, and into whatsoever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And in the same house remain eating and drinking such things as they have. When Jesus walked through the door of Martha's home, he said, peace to this house. He's the Prince of Peace. When Jesus came into this world, the angels announced his coming by singing, peace on earth. When Jesus departed this world, he said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The New Testament writers often begin their epistles with a salutation of peace because when we read the epistles, we're inviting Jesus into our home, and if it lodges there, it's giving us peace. There's a reason when Jesus entered Martha's home, troubles left, pressures receded, calmness reigned. There was happiness. The cares of life were diminished. No wonder Martha looked forward to having Jesus in the home. My friends, we need to invite Jesus into our homes. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha received him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. Don't miss that tiny but important word, that four-letter word, also. Martha loved to sit at Jesus' feet and learn. And Mary did also. The two loved to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his words. They were comfortable in their small home. There was not a lot of furniture. Martha gave Jesus the chair. And she sat down on a rug or a pillow that covered the dirt floor. Martha washed Jesus' feet. Lazarus and Mary sat at the feet of Jesus beside her. And they all carefully listened to his instruction. But one day... Martha lost sight of Jesus. 
She began to do her task without him. She began to think about herself and her needs instead of Jesus and his needs. But Martha was cumbered about much serving. This is the only time this Greek word here translated as cumbered is used in the Bible. The Greek word literally means to have one's attention directed from one thing to another to become or be distracted. Josephus uses the same word in his description of the conquest of Ai. This was the city that was destroyed next after the destruction of Jericho. And Joshua 8 tells the story. The Israelites uh, conquered it by ambush. The men of the city of Ai were, and that word is used, cumbered or distracted. The city was left unguarded. Because of their distraction, the city was conquered and burned. Satan wanted to conquer Martha and had ambushed her. And she was distracted from Jesus. She sat for a moment at Jesus' feet, but her mind was not on Jesus' words. It was on all the things that had to be done. She didn't stay at his feet very long. Quickly jumped up and began to attend the responsibilities that she was remembering. Martha did not need to choose between sitting at the feet of Jesus and working one or the other. Jesus would have given her both. We see in this experience how Jesus deals with people, however, so gently, kind. He didn't call out Martha and say, to, and say, Martha, come back at once and sit at my feet. He knew Martha's heart. She had looked forward to spending time with Jesus, and now that seemed to be denied her. She began to feel that she was being taken advantage of. She had to do all the work. The others received all the blessing. As she thought about this, instead of thinking about Jesus, she was no longer sitting at Jesus' feet while she served. When she left the feet of Jesus, she lost her peace. I picture Martha first looking through the doorway, trying to get Mary's attention. If she could have caught the eye of uh, Mary, how do you think it would have looked? A little glare. I got some of those from my mom um, when I needed to do some work. Then the signal, and... Uh, when Mary didn't look, there would be the cough, <coughs> clearing of the throat. Maybe she called Mary, but Mary wouldn't budge. At last, Martha knew that she must do something in this circumstance, and she called upon Jesus to solve the problem. And that's where she should have gone at first. Now we discover the temptations that face every Martha. She came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. It's the exclamation of frustration, hurt, loneliness, and anger. How quickly sin confuses us. Lord, Martha said, do you care about me? How many people in the middle of fatigue, how many people struggling with a life of poverty, sickness, Difficulties echo that question. But it's more than a question, it's really a complaint. First, she blamed God. If you cared about me, God, you shouldn't, certainly wouldn't let this happen. Instead of seeing how much Jesus cared, she made a false dilemma. How could Jesus care and this happen? People make this mistake all the time. If there was a loving God, how could there have been cruelty in World War II? Lord, do you notice that I'm overworking here in the church? Nobody's helping me. I'm the only one cleaning up after this potluck. 
Martha was looking at the privilege of serving Christ in a false light. She looked at Christ as the cause of her overwork, her fatigue, and her unhappiness. If he cared about her, she wouldn't be overworked, fatigued, or unhappy. She had it backward. If she cared about Christ, she wouldn't be overworked, fatigued, and unhappy. It was not that Christ had abandoned her. She had abandoned him. She looked at her sister Mary, sitting contented and happy, seeming unconscious of anything but the words of Christ. She blamed Christ for allowing it, but she also blamed her sister for refusing to help. If her sister would only help her, she wouldn't be carrying this burden alone. She wouldn't be without assistance. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Martha was so anxious about many things that she felt were needed that she overlooked the one thing that was most needed. Ministry of Healing, page 363, has a wonderful sentence. I want you to read it with me. The gospel is a wonderful simplifier of life's problems. Its instruction, heeded, would make plain many a perplexity and save us from many an error. It teaches us to estimate things at their true value and to give the most effort to the things of greatest worth, the things that will endure. Is your life complicated? God wants to simplify it. He speaks to us as surely as He did to Martha. Thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. The word carefully means anxiety, being full of care. The hymn says, Lo at his feet lay the burden of carefulness. That is our anxiety that we are to lay at his feet. And that is what it means to sit at the feet of Jesus, to lay our burdens at the feet of Jesus. The word troubled means worried. I like the way the CEV translates Luke 10.41. The Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you were worried and upset about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. Why be worried about that which is not necessary? Why be upset about that which can't help you? So many people are worried and upset about trifles. Matthew 6.25, Jesus said, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Luke 12, 25 puts it this way, And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? And if ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? The problem with Martha was not her work. It was her worry. Worry takes us out of Christ's hands. Worry takes us away from the feet of Jesus. Martha was worried, CEV puts it, about all that had to be done. Now, it's important for us to know Jesus was not going to have a worship service all day. There are lots of things He needed to do. There were people He needed to minister to. There were people He needed to see. Jesus had planned to allow Martha both time for worship in time for work. This was the morning worship time. It would soon be over. Breakfast eaten. All scattered. There was no need to neglect family worship for work. 
The worship period would help her be more efficient for the rest of the day. It was right to be anxious, but she was anxious about the wrong things. Desire of Ages 5.25 says, the one thing that Martha needed was, and then read it with me, a calm devotional spirit, a deeper anxiety for knowledge concerning the future immortal life and the graces necessary for spiritual advancement. There is an anxiety that we're to have, and that anxiety is a deeper anxiety for knowledge concerning the future immortal life and the graces necessary for spiritual advancement. It continues, she needed less anxiety for the things that would pass away and more for those things which endure forever. Jesus would teach his children to seize every opportunity of gaining that knowledge which would make them wise unto salvation. The cause of Christ needs careful energetic workers, she goes on to say. There's a wide field for the Marthas with their zeal and active religious work. Read it with me. But let them first sit with Mary at the feet of Jesus. Let diligence, promptness, and energy be sanctified by the grace of God. Then the life will be an unconquerable power for good. How does it become an unconquerable power for good? Here's the formula. Diligence, promptness, energy, all sanctified by Christ, makes us unconquerable. I took my first real vacation back in 1997. It took three weeks um, off. I didn't take my computer. Went as a family, and I took just one little thing, and that was my pocket Bible. And I studied the stories from Bethany for three weeks, just as I was out walking in the mountains, spending time with the kids every spare second, spending time reading about and meditating on the stories of Bethany. And I discovered that I was a male Martha. I discovered that God wants me to be an unconquerable power for good. And God wants you to be that too. Would Jesus like to come into your home? Would you welcome him like Martha? He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. We can have the same experience that Martha did if we welcome Jesus into our home. But Desire of Ages, page 800, says Christ never forces his company upon anyone. He interests himself in those who need him. Gladly will he enter the humblest home and cheer the lowliest heart. But if men are too indifferent to think of the heavenly guest or ask him to abide with them, he passes on. Thus many meet with great loss. But it is not enough to invite him. Martha did that. What do we do once he is in our home? Does he become a burden? Signs of the Times, July 6, 1904, gives a quote that's partially in the book Education, but more fully here, so I used it here. Let us turn aside from the dusty, heated thoroughfares of life to rest in the shadow of Christ's love 
and learn from him the lessons of quiet trust. Is that why you're here at camp meeting? Turn aside from the busy affairs of life. Not a pause for a moment in his presence, but personal contact with Christ to sit down in companionship with him. This is our need. Many, even in their seasons of devotion, fail of receiving the blessing of real communion with God. What's that first word? Many. What is many? Not just a few. Many. People who are having devotions. There's not a lot of those. But many of those don't get real communion with God. Why? They are in too great haste. With hurried steps they press through the circle of Christ's loving presence, pausing perhaps a moment within the sacred precincts. But, read it with me, not waiting for counsel. Not waiting for counsel. They have no time to remain with the divine teacher. With their burdens, they return to their work. Have you ever seen this at church? Perhaps there's a potluck, and some of the women leave the church service to tend to the meal. They miss the sermon for the potluck preparation. Sometimes we may be distracted when we read our devotions. Many other thoughts intrude. Many other plans distract us. We are ambushed and go through one, our devotional experience in a mechanical way. John 6 records the sad fact that of the many who followed Jesus for a time, many walked no more with him. But even the disciples who remained at times walked afar off from him. What has your day been like today? Have you been a Martha or have you been a Mary? Martin Luther once said, I have so much to do, I must take more time to pray. Great Controversy tells us, from the secret place of prayer came the power that shook the world in the Great Reformation. There, with holy calmness, the servants of the Lord set their feet upon the rock of His promises. During the struggle at Augsburg, Luther did not pass a day without devoting three hours at least to prayer, and they were hours selected from those the most favorable to study. No wonder Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It would be a terrible thing for us to come to camp meeting and be so busy going to meetings that we didn't have time to pray. And it's my prayer that this camp meeting leads us to a deeper devotional experience of Jesus that makes us Marthas that sit at the feet of Jesus active, diligent, prompt, 
in unconquerable power for good, sanctified by grace of God. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.